Hello, listeners. As promised in my last two episodes, today I am very happy to have as a guest Dr. Betsy Kanarovsky. Did I say that right? Absolutely, you did. Thank you. She is the Chief Clinical Officer at the Sapria Organization. Dr. Kanarovsky's work focuses on helping individuals navigate the different aspects of healing from sexual trauma. She has over 20 years of experience as a therapist, trainer, and educator. She joined the Sapria Organization in 2015, where she has helped hundreds, if not thousands, of women with their recovery. Betsy, please tell me, tell us a bit more about yourself and the Sapria Organization. Um, well, first off, thank you so much for having me on today. Um, and I hope I don't, if I start talking too much about Sapria, please interrupt me because I'm pretty passionate about what we do. So I could go on and on and on, and this would be a very long podcast. So um, <laughs> a little bit about my background. I am a clinical social worker. I have a PhD in special education, and I'm a certified sex therapist. And... Um, I've been with Sapria since, like you said, since 2015 in a couple different roles there. That's great. And, um, you know, I, I love Sapria now. It's like part of my life and I recommend it to everyone. I would love for our listeners to hear more about what Sapria does and how they help our community and how they help our survivors, our warriors that keep on going with their life. So Sapria exists to liberate individuals and society from child sexual abuse and its lasting impacts. And so we're a 501c3 nonprofit public charity, and we're funded by um, a combination of public and private donations. And the areas we work in are really three primary ones. Um, we work in spreading awareness about the magnitude of child sexual abuse because it is a huge problem. And then we also work in prevention because obviously preventing child sexual abuse is incredibly important because we don't want it to happen at all. And then we also have healing services for um, individuals who are survivors of child sexual abuse. Yes, definitely. The prevention is such a key word. We want to prevent this from happening. We don't want children to be hurt. That's the worst thing that can happen to anyone. I mean, as a survivor, I know it. The listeners know it. So I am so grateful for all the work that you and your colleagues do in Supreya. I I find this this work amazing. And um, I, I can tell you that my experience with Supreya has been, you know, out of this world. When I uh, was assaulted back in uh, January 2020, I was at one of my lowest points in my life. I was, I just was in such a disbelief that this could happen again. And um, so out I went on a search for therapies, for support, for anything that could help me go on because I knew my life wasn't over. I knew I had to go on. To make things worse, the pandemic started oh, and uh, it was hard to find face-to-face -face services. I did find before the pandemic, you know, everything shut down, an incredible therapist who, uh, to this day, I, I, I praise her. 
professionalism and her care. What a wonderful person. I also found another therapist who helped me with EMDR that I think is amazing. I found resources in my community, which I think is very important to to just do our research. And there is so much out there. And actually, it was a therapist from my county who suggested there are Facebook groups. One of them is from a Supriya organization. And that's how I found a Supriya support group. Oh, very nice. This group that I joined, it's been a blessing. I've been with them since 20, end of 2020, likely. And the leaders were out of this world. I became really good friends with one of the leaders. She is really, really good at what she does. Uh, besides her job and, and helping others, she's a great friend. And then during these support group meetings, I kept hearing about this a prayer retreat, a prayer retreat, a prayer retreat. I mean, seriously, this was a serious thing. They were singing praises all the time, and I'm like asking questions. And yeah, every time I felt like, okay, I can do this, something happened, fear happened. And my mind was filled with questions like, how is it that they want me to go to this place where somebody I don't know is going to pick me up? And then they're going to take me to a place that I will not have an, ad- a- an address for. It's like, no, no, that cannot be. That's like a red flag all over. Okay, why didn't I think of the obvious is the question I have now. So I did ask that question at the retreat, and it was, well, not everybody feels very safe all the time. If we disclose the address, there could be some stalkers. That wasn't exactly the words that I got, but that's just translated into simple words from me. And obviously, come on, Patricia, why didn't you think of this? Everybody needs to feel safe. So those are the reasons that... They didn't disclose the location and who's picking you up until you get there. So there you have it, people. There are reasons for not disclosing that information. So if you ever want to go, it is for your own safety and the safety of others. You may not need it, but others might. So anyway, one day I woke up and that was it. I am going to go to the retreat and I went to the retreat. And Betsy, guess what? You know it. I loved it. Good. It was amazing. It is the best experience we can have. You are treated like you are the most important person in the world. You're treated with respect. You're treated with care. You're treated like, yes, you are the center of the universe. The care, the professionalism, the the. Everything they did for you was amazing. Everything they did for me was amazing. From the moment I got to the airport and met the driver and met the other survivors, it was just, I so much recommend this experience to anyone if they can do it. It it is just amazing. And let me say something because, of course, this is something that everybody will have in their minds. Not everybody maybe, but I did because... You know, going away for five days 
somewhere is going to cost you some money. No, you just have to spend money on your tickets to get either to Utah or to uh, Georgia. That's all you need. And then everything else is taken care of. Can you ask for anything else, listeners? No, you can't. Do it if you can, please. What do you say to that, Betsy? Um, <laughs> well, I have a big smile on my face because I I love hearing about the positive experiences that people have at the retreat. And, you know, I want to give the the reassurance as you were talking about the address and things like that. We've had over 4,600 women attend the retreat since 2015 when we started these. So, and, and I always really applaud people. It is really hard to take that leap of faith and say, I am going to go somewhere where I've never been with people I don't know. And we're going to talk about a subject that is really, really difficult. And that takes so much strength. But as you were saying, you're worth it. And to go and, you know, at the retreat, we we teach about the impacts of trauma. We provide opportunities to apply healing tools that we teach you. And really importantly, it builds a community. And so much of abuse exists in isolation And healing takes place in a community, whether it's at the retreat, whether it's this podcast, whether it's a support group. People need other people in healing. Yes, definitely. And, and that's that's actually the point of this, this podcast. It was like an awakening. I had been thinking about it, but went to Sapria and it's like I came with the strength that, hey, I am going to do this. I have no idea how, but I am going to do it. And I did it. And we're here. I mean, is it a professional podcast that, you know, it's perfectly done? Maybe not. But I am doing it with love, number one, because I really care. Because I've had a long life without taking care of my trauma. And I don't want anyone to go through that. I want everyone, especially the younger people, to take care of themselves. We have to take care of ourselves. Just keep on going. We're here each day. We made it to today. We're going to make it to tomorrow. Take those steps. We are brave warriors, and we can do this. Absolutely. And I would encourage anyone who wants to apply to the retreat. Again, it's free. You just have to get to one of the either locations, and you can apply on our website at sapria.org. So it's S-A-P-R-E-A dot org. And you can learn lots more about it also and, you know, our other services. But that's definitely a good place to start. And we have a lot of online resources on our um, website, also a whole library of information about common symptoms adult survivors might be struggling with, resource strategies, things like that. So even if you're like, mm, I don't know about the the retreat, check out the website. I think you'll yeah, find on there. It is really good. It is really interesting. And you can always reach out to them. You can always reach out to me if I can answer any questions. Uh, my email again is powerinsurviving at gmail.com. And I am more than happy to talk to you about my experience 
There are also support groups. Remember that you can always go to Facebook, our friend, and find those groups. So uh, moving along, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about uh, uh, different topics, of course. But in your experience, Betsy, as a professional therapist working with survivors of sexual abuse, what can you tell the listeners about time for recovery? You know, we would all love to have that magic pill that makes us all right in, you know, a week, possibly, maybe a month, but we want that magic pill. Can you tell us all, what do you think about the timing? Well, there is not a one size fits all. There's not a definitive answer to this because it's very individual. And And I wish I could say exactly what you said, like, Okay, if you do A, B, and C, then in four months, you won't be struggling with these symptoms anymore, right? And it doesn't work that way. Um, there's not a right way to heal. There's not a right path. It's very individual. And so it takes time. And one of the things that I, I always like to talk about is there's not an end to it. It's not like one day I wake up and I'm healed, and it's all over. Trauma doesn't work that way. But there is one day I wake up, and I realize that I have the tools to handle the triggers that come up. When I'm feeling emotionally dysregulated, I have the skills to recognize that, and and I've done the healing, and I've done some work in this, and I'm like, okay, I can handle this. This isn't going to completely derail me but it would be it would be unethical for me to say oh yeah everything will be fine and you'll be healed from trauma because that's not life things come up and so yeah I wish I had a really good answer but there's just yeah there's not it takes how much time it takes but you're worth taking that time mm -hmm. and I tell you um I ask you this because uh, I think it's important that people hear it from the professionals, but also from the survivors. Because like I said, I'm 57 and 2020, sorry, 20, yeah, 2020, <laughs> I was assaulted again. And like before, I wanted the pain from this assault, from this abuse to end. I really wanted it to end fast. I needed to be done with it. I felt like my world had gone down again, but I decided I needed to do something. And I went on a quest to find every possible therapist, therapy, support groups, therapy groups, you name it. I went for everything, any alternative medicine, any alternative groups, really anything except for drugs, of course all because I wanted to get better, because I wanted to feel happy again, because I had found after 55 years of my life, happiness. Not that I didn't have it before, but this was a different kind of happiness and I wanted to have that again. I knew I could do it. It is two years, over two years later, and I'm there again. So it took me 55 years to find this amazing happiness for a few months. And then something happened and I decided to push and put my all into finding it again. 
Of course, it is different for everyone. It can take you a year, it can take you two, it can take you many years. You never really know. The thing is, we are survivors and we will be survivors in recovery until the day we're gone. It really is, I believe, this is my personal belief, that we can manage our pain and our recovery. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, a lot of times people will go through life very numb. And when you start to feel feelings, it's, It can be really challenging and, and doing scary. that with the help of, yes, absolutely scary, with the help of, of support and professionals and, you know, whatever that needs to look like, like for the individual. But you don't have happiness when you're numb. It may protect you from some of the other emotions, but the, that wide range of emotions is, yeah. is part of that experience. Yes, thank you. So another question for you. Okay. As you know, many of us hide our trauma, like I was saying. And uh, in terms of coming out with our history, in terms of sharing our pain, in terms of taking the first step and actions towards our recovery, what would be the best Uh, recommendation that you have for us to push ourselves to do uh, to take the first steps to just get out there and do what we need to do so I think when we're talking about you know getting out there and and kind of telling your story and things like that it's really important to do that in on a timeline and in a way that you feel safe doing that because it is your information to share with who you want to share with it. So I think sometimes people think, well, I just need to go and, and tell it and it will be okay. And I think it's very important to think of who are trusting people in your life that are going to be able to hold that space with you as you talk about your trauma. So That could be close friends, that could be family members, or it could very much not be family members. Um, it could be a therapist, it could be something like a support group, whatever that looks like. But I think doing that on your own time. That said, it really sometimes is a leap of faith to say, you know what, I am going to, I'm going to go to therapy. And I am going to say, yeah, I'm struggling, and this is why. And that takes, that that's hard. That's very hard. But again, this really, I think if one of the things I can really stress is that there is just not one size fits all. And I would never want to say, okay, go tell three people and a therapist, and then this is the path you need to be on. However, connecting with other people is key. And that doesn't mean you have to connect with them and then immediately share trauma or something like that. But it's it's that connecting with other people, taking those steps. And those may look like very little steps for some people at first that don't even involve bringing up their trauma. It's just starting to connect with other people and feel safe. Did I answer that okay? Yes, of course you did. Of course well. you did. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, encouraging people uh, to take the first step towards 
uh, the recovery, be it uh, going to a therapist, it's also their choice. Sharing with their friend, also their choice. Sharing with a family member, their choice. It's all about our own own choices, I think, and where we feel safe. Yes. One thing that I want to highlight is that when we share and we feel safe by sharing with others, call it a therapist, a friend, a family member, we need to be conscious and be ready to receive an answer or a reaction that it may not be what we need. It can be very painful. It can be uh, a disappointment. Or who knows, it may very well be that we get what we need, what we want, a smile, a hug, a question uh, saying, what do you need from me? What can I do for you? It may be what we need. What I'm saying is that uh, just be prepared before you share with someone. Exactly. Mm. And I think... mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. I was just going to say, I think... Sometimes people respond and they don't know how to respond. And so it may be kind of awkward or like that. And they're, they are coming out of love, but it can feel very overwhelming to them or it can be triggering to them because of their own history or history of a family member or something like that. So if you try to reach out to someone and it's not a very good experience, please don't give up because your healing is so important and you know what sometimes things don't work out people we can't control how people respond but that doesn't mean that the next person is going to respond that way and it doesn't mean that you you don't have worth or anything like that it just means that person for whatever reasons they have did not respond in a way that was helpful to you right it's not about you Exactly. That's what I was going to say. (laughs) Whatever the response is, it's about them, not about you. They may respond in the right way. And that was that would be awesome because they know they have learned or they may also have a similar experience or they're educated in the subject. Right. So you have a great feedback. So let's see what time is it? I think we're approaching the end of the podcast let me see if I can ask you one more thing so in terms of different therapists therapists because you know there is different uh, different different approaches have you seen any trend on therapy that may be more successful amongst uh, survivors of sexual abuse anything that you think uh, would be uh, something that can help the survivors? Uh, uh, feel more comfortable, feel more uh, connected, more efficient, anything that you want to recommend? I think that's a great question. And the very first part of that goes back to what we've been talking about through this whole time is find what works for you. Just like if you don't click with the therapist, please go find another one. I really want to stress what you said on that because it's so important. You need to have that comfortable working relationship. And it doesn't mean that if it's not working that you're a bad client or they're a bad therapist necessarily. It just means this didn't work and you're not going to be the team 
working on your trauma, but you will find someone who is going to be part of that team. Same kind of goes for therapy. Um, I know you were talking about EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And that can be really powerful for um, sexual abuse, sexual trauma survivors. We use that. We use that here. Um, not at the retreats. We don't do therapy at the retreats. Um, but basically, EMDR looks at how your your brain stores traumatic memories and helps it heal kind of shifts associations and memories so it doesn't take them away. Mm -hmm. Um, So EMDR can be really, really powerful. I like that one. Um, Somatic therapies where you're incorporating your body and healing. So you're using breathing and mindfulness, meditation, grounding, trauma stored in our brain and our body. So those, the different somatic approaches can be powerful. And then cognitive processing therapy, where you're looking at your thoughts about the trauma, exploring that can work. It just really depends on what works for what person. Right, right. Yes, different, different therapies, different therapy, therapies. Um, again, it, it is, it all depends on the person who's seeking help. Uh, like I said, EMDR worked wonders for me. And, and one more thing that I wanted to say, EMDR or, or, or somatic therapy or any kind of therapy that we take on or, or simply support groups because that's where we are now, we need to remember that as our memories come back to us, then others follow. Yeah. Because we forget, I, I know that I hardly had any memories of my childhoods and my adolescence. It was just incredible. But now I have more and more memories even now. So they will keep coming back and it's really hard to deal with it. But I know also that I will never forget, no matter how happy I feel today or how happy I felt yesterday, I'm not forgetting. Unless I get Alzheimer's and I forget everything. But while I am okay, those memories are there. I feel happy, I can feel happy, but I will have other moments where, for whatever reason, these memories come back very strongly, and I will have my cry, and I will let my feelings do what they need to do. If I need to cry, I will cry. Some days I feel like, I really want to scream. I can't scream because I live in a condo. But I will find my out. (laughs) I will find my out. And hopefully this out can be through the help of a therapist, through any kind of therapist, and through help from others. And no, there is no magic pill. There is no forgetting what happened. But there is work to be done. There is support that we can find. And we are a community. We are human beings and we're bonded each other and we're bonded by our pain and by our experiences and we're here for each other I think you said that beautifully I have nothing to add to that that was <laughs> thank that you. was so well said thank you you see sometimes I do get emotional I just I just wish I could help more people I really do I hope I'm doing my little part 
Betsy, thank you. Thank you so much for all of your work, for being part of Sapria, for helping so many of us. I hope that this podcast is going to inspire people, my survivor groups and warrior friends, and will they will find their way to recovery in different ways, and hopefully they will uh, be part of Sapria and also go to the retreat. Again, thanks so much, Betsy, for being with us today. And I just want to say to, you know, everyone out there listening, again, your healing is so important. You are so important. And yes, it's a hard journey sometimes, but it's absolutely worth it. So please access what resources work for you. And thank you so much for having me on this podcast. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. And until next time.